0: I guess they, the person on Twitter said that they had shipped a uh, empty jacket, which Mike does sometimes to pack out the records of an AJJ ten inch, Uh-oh. and the tweet was just, now I have something to rest my sarcasm record on. My other favorite uh, AMR band. <laughs>
1: Alex, Mateo, hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks Hi. so much for having us.
2: It's going. It's. it's, <laughs> it's uh, going. I don't even know what day it is at this point. <laughs> what day
1: is it? it it's
2: Thursday? It's a day. It really doesn't it's January matter. January or February.
0: Or it's yeah. Sell the Heart Podcast Day.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's kind of happens. all that matters. It's, yeah. it's today. That's the only day that yeah. matters, right? Um, yeah, I've got Alex and Mateo from the band Sarcasm here. Uh, the third member, Stevie, was unable to attend today. But yeah, welcome to the Question and Answers podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thanks so much for having us, Andy. This is going to be really... We haven't done a podcast like this in a long time, so this will be really fun.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so you guys uh, have uh, recently put out an, a record. It came out in 2020. Uh, called is just self-titled. And it was released via Asian man records, and I believe it's your third full length record, correct?
2: Uh, fourth, I think. Oh, fourth,
0: third, I think third of what's currently available on most streaming services. The first one we don't talk about as much.
2: The first one is only on Bandcamp and only in like CD form. Um, if you ask the right people.
1: I see. So that's the one that's going to be like your guys's golden parachute. Like when you guys, you know, you know, become like the the iconic, you know, 2020s East Bay punk band that people like are talking about on the lookout, you know, message board on Facebook, like 30 years from now. I'm if sure it exists. Right. Yeah
2: oh man
0: i i think we made like 20 cd copies in total so and i i think i know every person individually that has them still so
2: I, yeah i think i know every person individually who listened to that album so. <laughs> and still yeah
1: listens I, to it i definitely have been in a few bands over the years where you know we made like a very very small number of whatever recording we happen to have and they're sitting somewhere probably collecting dust or somebody's loving it you know and, and listening to it over and over i mean I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it is for you, but there's there's a few bands that I've been in where the recordings are kind of just lost into the ether. And like, I don't even have a copy of them anymore. And I'm kind of dying to hear them again because it's been so long. Um, I mean, do you have any bands like that that that, that you've been in?
0: There's uh, there was my first band that I was ever in was this blues band called The Gents and we only played one gig at my middle school's like f- wh- like Harvest Fair, like Fall sub- like Celebration Carnival and there's like a really old, like someone still had a Betamax like camera and filmed it onto a Betamax we don't have the camera anymore I know where the tape is but I've never seen it and that's the only recording that exists of that band i think Hmm. but sarcasm uh has been pretty well documented i think thanks to us starting kind of right when like social media kind of really was becoming the way to do band stuff and we filmed almost all of our early gigs and i think every show throughout the first three years we filmed so we have a lot of archival stuff for us
2: i think we lost about two years worth of those shows though because hmm. those are shows that i filmed not alex's dad and i put them all oh, right it was my top at the time which i'm pretty sure is like years dead that hard drive does not exist that computer doesn't exist anymore <laughs> so i and i i remember solidly what shows we had documented that now don't exist anymore um Which is so. I
0: I guess that then. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No. I mean, I I think that archival like footage and and and, like those old demos and old recordings can be like such a treasured you know thing to hold on to and kind of like a look back and laugh kind of thing because Mm -hmm. you know music and and creating stuff can be so like grueling sometimes that when you have an opportunity to just kind of like reflect on like yeah man like you know we were doing this we were doing this just for the hell of it you know and we were just fucking everything be damned and like we don't have like a crazy agenda and, and I, I i personally really love that kind of stuff and i know that sometimes people are not like that into nostalgia but i don't know like, I i think that there's value to it but um I, I i'd be down to check it out sometime uh but yeah so you guys have been a band now for it, it, it's like a, like eight years nine years something like that ten years we celebrated ten years,
2: ten years last october wow um, we actually dropped our album on our ten year anniversary of meeting for the first time and deciding to start a band.
1: That's great. October and tenth Okay. Not 9th. I think and you, you I, all met when you were like pretty young, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like how how uh, old are we talking?
0: So I was uh thirteen and what happened is I had been in this blues band that I then got fired for not being like cool enough or something uh and i had my mom put an ad on craigslist that was like teenage kid looking for band and i didn't really think anything of it too much and then mateo responded and it had turned out that mateo and i about three months earlier had done the bandworks uh summer camp together and had been in one of the groups and played about a six song set. And so we actually kind of had that connection. And uh, we had a couple songs because of that, that we could play together on the first practice, like smells like teen spirit. Uh, But yeah, it was still definitely like very um, not parent guided, but like my parents had to drive me to practice every, every week. And, We practiced in the parents uh, kind of garage basement area, but it was definitely uh, an upgrade from the blues band, I think, that just got to play my middle school events. This one actually had real shows. Yeah.
2: Um, I was 15, Alex was 13, and Stevie was 11. Mm. Um, And Stevie and I are siblings, so we lived in the same house and still live in the same house and invited this weird guy who lived you know less than a mile away and had lived less than a mile away pretty much the entire time to our house
1: yeah so uh out of curiosity you're from the east bay area Mm -hmm. originally Mm -hmm. like berkeley oakland emeryville
0: yeah so mateo and Stevie's original house was at the top of Solano Avenue, mm. and I'm just uh, down a little bit above the El Cerrito Plaza BART station. And so I, I started getting used to just walking over because it really was that close. It was a house that I had probably passed by on this my drive home from uh, Berkeley or anything hundreds of times and just never, you know, I guess, you know, I never really made that connection until I finally went over there and was like, oh, I have, I have seen this house all the time. And so it was weird that like, almost that it took that long for our paths to kind of cross in terms of just music and all that in general. But it, it definitely, for me at least, was the first thing I ever heard about DIY or all ages or punk in general or anything. I, I had no idea about any of that until I met Matteo and Stevie and kind of joined that world.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, out of curiosity, had were you not going to like the same elementary school? I mean, I know that the, like the East Bay is, you know, kind of a, a big area, and so there's probably a lot of schools, you know, within like a smaller oh, yeah. area. Oh but... uh,
0: So I had been at this place uh, that is in El Cerrito. That was a K through eight school, and I started there in kindergarten, and was there the entire time. And I think Mateo and Stevie went to craigmont
2: yeah we went to a different berkeley elementary school we did went to a different middle school um and then alex and i actually ended up going to high school together yeah um and stevie went to a an elite private college prep nerd school up in the hills nice stevie's a, an elite college prep nerd <laughs> <laughs> but see they're not here so we get to yeah we exactly
0: get to talk yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mateo and i uh I, I was looking at that high school already right about when I joined Sarcasm and it, it definitely solidified me going there, but I was already planning on going there anyway. So I'm I'm not sure. We probably would have formed the band inevitably anyway just from that, but it definitely helped direct me to go to this I mean, kind of the what they called it like the hippie anarchist school of Berkeley that uh Definitely helped kind of like our first few shows were in the auditorium for like the school events for that high school and that kind of stuff. And that was definitely a beneficial thing that made it a lot easier of like, okay, two thirds of us are at the same school, at least after a year after I graduated middle school. So we could work on stuff kind of more day to day without having to be outside of school practicing.
2: And it also helped because we were friends. Like it was nice to have another friend at school it was I'm sure it was nice for Alex to have a friend to start school with yeah like stuff like that
1: absolutely I mean when when you start a band as friends at least in my experience I think that those tend to last a lot longer and and you are you produce better music you know yeah I mean I've been in I've been in other bands where um you know it's it starts out as being you know pretty much just kind of groups of like a group of strangers and it's like The one core person who's like the main songwriter and then they just kind of brought on a bunch of other people and you eventually become friendly and maybe even become actual good friends. But it it takes a little while instead of like having it be like the opposite where it's like, oh, we're, we're homies and we're going to start this band and it's us against the world kind of thing. But um, yeah, like, I mean, how would you guys really describe your sound? I mean, I know that obviously, you know, like being a band for as long as you have and like starting from such a young age. Um, I'm sure that it's like ebbed and flowed a little bit and kind of evolved over time. But I mean, where you're at right now, like, what would you guys consider your, your, your yourselves to be? Like, wh- like what I don't know, what genres would you say that you fall into?
2: Um, I remember when we started, we kind of started calling ourselves a pop punk band, and then immediately started rejecting that. Um, I don't, I don't know if you remember 2010 to 2013, but that was when the really like broy like college pop-punk bands were getting super big like um i like story so far and like that whole scene of panda studios like super sheeny pop-punk so we actually didn't call ourselves pop-punk for a really long time and i think now we've kind of come back around and now we're like oh we're a poppy punk band um and we call ourselves bummer pop a lot too um bummer pop bummer punk uh we tried to be a ska band for like two years um that didn't really work um i think we called ourselves an indie rock band for like a year and a half too but it it really it just came back to pop punk
1: yeah the i mean it's kind of a silly question to ask to be honest because like at the end of the day like the 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 labels that we use to like you know put ourselves in the, into like a box when we're when we're writing this music it's it, it's it's kind of defeating you know in so many ways but but it also like is almost like a necessary evil because when you're trying to get yourselves in front of people i mean like especially like using these mechanisms we have like social media or like putting it on spotify like they want to know you know what category should we put your music into to best put you in front of the right people and you know let's 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 face it you know some people do only want to hear like you know dark weird indie rock versus punk you know or poppy punk rock and as much as like sarcasm like you know you, you're you're saying it's like oh we're kind of like bummer punk you know like people who listen to all different types of music may totally appreciate what you guys are doing but they may never hear you because unfortunately you're having to like put your, yourselves into like these weird boxes and you know that's that's kind of unfortunate i mean when i listen to you guys i definitely kind of feel like this kind of lo-fi just kind of like you know lo-fi indie with like a little bit of like a pop hook you know like vibe going you know almost like a almost like a dinosaur junior like a cracker you know kind of thing or like like a almost like a uh camper van beethoven or like mm-hmm. mr t experience you know i get i get like pieces of all of that you know in this but it's but it's nice. It's like youthful. And like, uh, I, I think anyone who's into just like, uh, uh, honest approach to like simple songwriting and like, it's very straightforward, you know? And, uh, that's what I appreciate about your guys's tunes for what it's worth. But, um, but yeah, I mean, is there, are there any like, um, artists in particular that you all collectively kind of feel like are, are pretty big influences that you can I name? Think-
0: I think the biggest one is Green Day, uh, both locationally and just sound wise. Uh, I was sort of introduced to Green Day about a year before joining Sarcasm. I think I saw them, yeah, back in 2009 about was the first time. Uh, And they definitely were one that brought us together a little bit over kind of covering them and figuring out that that was kind of the direction, at least we wanted to start going in. And I mean, Nirvana was a really big one. Uh, I think Nirvana indirectly, the Beatles for us a little bit. I grew up immensely being obsessed with the Beatles and it was all I really listened to throughout most of elementary school. And uh, when we started, I still was very much more on that kind of classic rock Beatles phase and was just getting into punk. And a lot of that was what I think pushed us towards like the more kind of poppy mentality. And I think what made me at least reject pop punk as the genre because as I started to become aware of bands like Blink-182 and like the Warp Tour bands, it was true of, I thought, well, we've sung nothing like this. And the lyrics were writing especially like to blink 182 and uh i guess like all-time low and those kind of things are just so different in terms of how we write and a lot of like our writing is like again like beatlesy like characters or like story stuff or just trying to keep it more sort of engaging in every aspect rather than like anthemic and we've never fit like the pop punk like anthem about as much as we joke about like leaving your hometown and going off and touring in a van and living the pop punk lifestyle and drinking i, I don't uh, i was pbr i don't know is it like is the pbr coffee now is that the pop punk
1: drink or would it be like
2: no i think pop punks still drink white claw now
0: oh true
1: yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna say i think white claw has kind of overtaken everything at this point God. yeah we uh
0: yeah we we missed the fest where white claw had just started to take over so going back it'll be interesting to see how that goes but yeah i i mean green day nirvana the beatles uh a lot of the early lookout stuff eventually i didn't know about it at that point but that definitely became a big part uh uh mateo what else i know afi is probably one
2: afi is huge um and then i'd also offer this is this was later but it still had just as much of an impact on us as a band um but the decemberists and like that kind of whole like indie folk scene and jeff rosenstock all of jeff rosenstock's projects
1: yeah yeah i mean that's that's a a really good list of of like bands to kind of take from though i I mean if you're thinking about like just song craft in with respect to like pop sensibility but still you know universally acceptable with respect to it's like hey like none of this stuff is like ever going to be thought of as, as like bad you know like i mean sure like those bands all have songs that are not great you know but Those bands all know how to write good songs, Mm -hmm. like pretty, pretty much universally. Like, I mean, the, the only band out of that whole list that I would think has probably fewer good songs than the majority of their recordings would be AFI. But even, even AFI like has at least two albums worth of really, really, really good songs that you can choose from. So, and that that's impressive for any band to be able to pull off, you know? um Uh, yeah that's a great uh list of influences to choose from now you mentioned lookout records um you know i know that you guys are pretty affiliated with like the gilman scene and uh i think all of you have done a lot of volunteering there correct yeah Mm
0: -hmm. we all uh we all currently and have held a lot of positions there uh i'm currently on the financial board I have done the garbage removal. I've done the graffiti cover-up job. I've, like everybody, run door, uh, you know, helped coordinate a little bit. I'm training to be a coordinator when we come back. Uh, Just kind of a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah, right now I'm head booker. I've been head booker for the past three years. Um, Interim head coordinator and head of social media. And I also was head of sound for three years. And I actually just gave up that title last December, uh, November, 2019. Um, and of, of the three of us, I, I've been going to Gilman since I was 12. Um, I started going first as a patron, then as like a shithead, like teenager. And then finally I started volunteering for real. Um, I quickly got super into wanting to learn sound. I learned everything um and kind of became head of sound by chance and because i was there so much and because the only way sarcasm could play shows at gilman was if we volunteered and like bothered the bookers there enough to put us on shows we were there a lot and we ended up we've played so many gilman shows um it is our house yeah i think yeah. i think
0: the number last time i checked was like 53 or something in the past 10 years uh and it a lot of it was like i mean tony two-tone uh booked us on so many scott nights which as much as we joke about like it was that or nothing and playing scott nights at least brought us to a little bit more people and uh led us to i mean we played with some some decent shows like playing with uh I mean, we ended up playing with, like, Bum City Saints in the early days, and we played with the She's when they were still kind of beginning. Uh, and Holiday, uh, Holiday Bowl, I think, was our first show. And it was, like, some decent, fun shows to start out with. But, uh, yeah, the volunteering, I think, has also just made it all that more uh, valuable and enjoyable of an experience as a whole. Because, like, it's fun to, like... Weirdly play a show and then jump off and then you kind of end up there next week and sometimes people are like, oh, I remember I, you were here last week and you played in the band and now you're here doing the the door sales or something and you kind of start to know people more than just like the audience, you know them as like the community of it. And that makes it like more of a kind of, yeah, like a community experience rather than like, I'm the performer and you're going to watch me and then I'm going to leave.
2: And it right. really helps too. Like, if you spend so much time learning how to keep a venue running, through that you learn how to book shows at other venues. You meet so many bands from all over the world. You you learn all the skills that you need to be a band and to be, not just be a band, but like be professional in all aspects of life. Um, how to be make good business. How to be good at relationships with people. Like, we learned how to book a tour through volunteering at Gilman because we would see what bands our size in their towns, like, what routes they would take coming through the bay. Um, we'd trade shows with other bands. Um, I don't know. I'm, an like, a audio engineer by trade now, and I got started by running live shows at Gilman. So, I don't know. We I, I always like to say that our involvement in Gilman with Gilman taught us everything um, that we know about everything that's important to us. And like give us that foundation.
1: That's awesome. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's, it's actually not an uncommon story. It seems like, you know, I've known a few people over the years that have, you know, been, you know, uh, volunteers and, you know, part of that whole co-op, you know, scene where they've been doing like the actual jobs there, you know, um like booker or sound person or main coordinator or anything like that and you know it, it it it's it's a huge undertaking because you know that that club's been around for several decades now like 30 years and you know it's been just alive you know and, and thriving you know in some and like there's seen it's seen highs, highs and lows um but it takes people doing that work and i mean that's that's super impressive you know and um i mean shoot i i certainly appreciate that work that you guys we're doing because i still like to go to gilman every once in a while when i can um i mean i don't go nearly as often as i used to um and i didn't grow up in the bay area but you know uh, i remember always hearing the stories and being like oh gilman street gilman street and then when i finally got to go and play a show and uh experience that whole thing it's a really special place and Mm -hmm. you know i think it takes a lot of special people to really do that and um yeah that's that's great i mean i hope that once this is all over that uh you guys can you know really you know, keep that place up and running. Like I know that, like you guys have done a few uh, fundraisers to try to, you know, raise some more money. And uh, you know, thankfully, the community of Berkeley, I think, really does a lot of work to like try to keep that place in line. Even though there, there's probably some people that are still like in the back of their head, like, ah, oh, we could probably just let that place go and that'd be fine. But, but I mean, it's such a, it's such an institution now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's world, it's world famous. But
2: I think it'll take a lot at this point for Gilman to actively go away yeah i think there's enough history there although i guess i i'm sure they said the same about cbgb's or whatever but i think there's enough history that's still active today that should we be in any like legitimate danger um there would be a rallying cry and like there would be help
1: yeah and I, you know i i know that one of the things with cbgb was that uh well i mean it, i think one of the main differences between cbgb and and gilman is that you know new york just exploded you know and there's not there's not much more you can do in new york except for just grow like taller buildings right berkeley still you know got like ordinances that will only allow you to you know put buildings so high so you know i think i think you're right i think gilman's pretty safe for a long time but Um, so yeah, uh, with your last record, you guys put that out with Asian Man Records, which is you know pretty well known, uh, Bay Area band, uh, label and you know has worked with a lot of Bay Area bands, uh, and actually a lot of um bands that are like I guess like kind of younger. Like I know that they've worked with Grumster recently, um, you know, I know he's done some stuff with um, like some I know his band, like Kitty Cat Club, is like made up of like some like younger folks and whatnot, which I think is really great you know, cause I think it's rather he embraces like kind of a more youthful vibe. I know I remember like link 80 back in the day, like one of the first bands he ever worked with, but, like they were all like teenagers when he started to work with them. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. But how, how was that experience? Like working with Asian man? I mean, was that something that like you were like any, like int- were you intimidated by that at all or anything like that?
2: It still doesn't feel real. Sometimes I feel like, like I, I don't know what I personally expected when we started this band of like where we would get, what we would accomplish, where we would go, but still, even now to this day, the fact that we have not only just put one thing out with Asian Man Records, but put out like four separate releases and we have like a relationship with Mike Park and like the people that he works with separate from us, like no of us through him and that whole, we're a part of that whole family still blows my mind like every day. It's so cool. I It's it's just so cool. I can't believe it. I can't believe
0: we did that. It's like you get stuff. Oh, what was there? Mateo, I don't know if you saw the tweet earlier, but someone tweeted out something saying like, ordered the new Alkaline Trio repress of, uh, is it God damn it or is it just damn it? It's goddamn it. It's god. Well, crap. Mike's gonna kill me now. Goddamn it. The new repress on Coke Bottle Clear. I do follow your social media, Mike. And I guess they, the person on Twitter, said that they had shipped a uh, empty jacket, which Mike does sometimes to pack out the records of an AJJ ten inch. Uh And the tweet was just. Now I have something to rest my sarcasm record on, my other favorite uh, AMR band. And it was like, what other world would that be of like w- AJJ is being used as our coaster? And it's just like, what a, like, it's been truly the first and like best thing we've done that makes it feel like it's just paying off in any sense. Cause like, we've never been in it for like money or anything like that, but like after being a band for like six ish years and then kind of having the opportunity to really work with Asian man and like Mateo was saying, have it really be like what feels like a friendship kind of deal and not like a really serious business transaction. It's just made it really rewarding to get to do it. And he's really open to all of our like crazy ideas and kind of, are like we put out an album last year or I guess 2019 two years ago and then I almost just like a year later we're already back and recording the next one and he's fine to kind of keep putting it out and working with the new bands and I think what you said Andy is really important about that of like Grumster, Small Crush and all these kind of local Gilman Bay Area kind of bands he's getting reacquainted with and it definitely benefits the bands a lot but i know it's opening up to kids that follow us or other bands that were the age we were when we started like you know just 13 14 year olds who might not have that entrance because they don't know about alkaline trio or joyce manor or link 80 or ajj or any of these kind of bands and it's giving them an opportunity to find his label and uh, giving him this whole new audience and I know he's joined like TikTok because of some of the younger bands like uh, Small Crush and Grumpster really encouraging him to do so but it's nice to feel like I guess like the, the third or fourth kind of I guess like fourth wave of Asian Man Records is kind of occurring now and it's it's kind of coming back home to the Bay Area and being really centralized which is a really nice feeling
1: absolutely yeah uh i i remember i remember when i was you know a little younger and in playing in a few bands asian man was definitely like one of the labels that i was really hoping to at some point get the attention of and like try to impress you know and i've i've had the pleasure of meeting mike a few times over the years and he's a he's such a really good dude like he's just a down-to-earth guy like there's there's nothing intimidating about him really at all you know and like um I think that's just kind of like that youthful kind of like, Oh shit, it's Mike park. Uh, you know, like, what am I going to say? And it's like, Oh, just say hi. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's totally a cool dude, you know? Um, but you know, I, I, uh, I only asked just because like, you know, Asian man's kind of a big deal, especially like in the Bay area. And I mean, the guy like has done so much rad stuff, like through not only Skang and pickle and like Bruce Lee band and like the Asian man records and like the plea for peace and like anti-racist action, and, like, I mean, and you know, he's got a pretty strong affiliation with like the Gilman crowd and everything. You know, he's done a lot of stuff with, um, you know, organizing shows there and everything. I remember I saw the Plea for Peace tour come through there. It was, I mean, it was easily one of the my favorite shows come through Gilman ever. It was the Plea for Peace tour where they had Alkaline Trio, um, uh, Blue Meanies was supposed to play, but they couldn't play because they were technically on a major label at that point, which was like, eh, okay, <laughs> like, but like Link Eighty played. um... Uh, uh, who else? Uh, Tuesday played, I think MU330 played. Uh, uh Angelo Moore from Fishbone came on and did like a Dr. Mad vibe set, which was like completely unannounced. And like, here I am thinking, like, fuck, it's Angelo Moore. That's rad. And, um, yeah, no, I, I I think it's really great that you guys have been able to work with Asian Man. Asian Man's a, a great label to be affiliated with. And his TikTok is actually hilarious. If you, if you haven't checked it out, I definitely, anyone who's a, who knows of, uh, Mike Park, and kind of understands his humor. I think would really appreciate what he's doing on TikTok right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do, do you guys really fuck with TikTok at all? Do you, you- uh,
0: we have an account. Uh, I think we follow Asian Man and Grumster. And like, I've debated. I think once like touring and shows come back, it'll be easier if like we're all in the van to think of stuff. But. I just don't feel motivated enough to make an effort. Uh we do have one. I'm sure it's at sarcasm band or whatever on on TikTok. Uh but I I I think I also just used it cuz I didn't have a TikTok account of my own and I wanted to just watch like random TikToks and just thought oh, I'll just make a band one and it'll just be there so we can use it eventually but I know I mean it's it's the thing now and like I mean it's how I felt back when Vine got really popular and Kept thinking man i really should jump on this and so i think i think it'll be the it'll be a big thing we like uh this band vile that we uh have played with once uh out in i think minneapolis has used tiktok to a pretty in uh successful extent and gotten a pretty large audience just from that and it it really it can be the new kind of you know random radio play of just it'll blow you up and i don't know i don't understand it though i'm too i am think once you like get over 20 i think you start (laughs) losing the grip on the social media stuff yeah except my mom loves it so i don't know there's that
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i'll i mean not to wrap on tiktok too much um but it is it is kind of interesting i mean i'm kind of i guess like a like a sociological kind of nerd sometimes like like weird societal like archaeology, you know, and like it is fascinating to see like what these social networking apps kind of do to people and how quickly people kind of adapt and adopt. Um, I mean I I remember I heard about TikTok and initially I was pretty like just not interested. I was like, no, dude, I'm already like plugged into Facebook. I, I'm using Instagram. I barely use Twitter. Like, why would I want to take on another one, you know? And, um, my wife actually really loved it and she was just like constantly laughing. And I was just like, what are you laughing at? And she's like, "TikTok," And I'm like, really? And so I finally went ahead and bit and I, you know, started an account and I mean, I don't claim to be very good at making like funny videos or, or that I'm really all that interesting, you know, to look at, but it is kind of fun to, to use, and I, I, think, I think it's just, you know, one of those things like anything, like you just kind of have to practice at it. Um, and sometimes people are just naturally very able to portray like this, you know, interesting, charismatic, you know, viewpoint on life, and maybe they have very interesting, funny things to say, and they know how to edit it really well, and it works, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I have seen some bands using it really well, to your point uh, about that one band, um I actually think Mike Parks doing a great job at it too. I think like he just found like a niche. And I think yeah. I think that's one of the main components is, like if you if you have a thing that you're good at and you can just do it often and get it in front of enough people then yeah you like you'll blow up. But I guess to what end though? Like if you're in a band like if if you're trying to leverage your band's marketability somehow but you're also using it to only talk shit about like politics like I don't know how those things can be like work together, you know? So yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm fascinated by it, but I just don't know if I if I'm really gonna be able to use it very well.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a total chance kind of thing. I realized the only thing that I've seen really recently is this uh, this band we've played with a couple times. It's also an Asian man, Dog Breath, from mm. uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Then they moved to Seattle and moved back to Phoenix. Uh, it might be Tucson. I think it's Phoenix. Uh, someone on TikTok bought their first album and reviewed it uh, to a bunch of people and then within a week they were interviewed by Rolling Stone and had like sold like 2000 copies of this album that had only sold like 10 copies originally and like are I guess the t- in the top 5 of Asian man streaming streaming bands ever now because and it's like it's much more like random success of someone else, I think can really do it. And it's just kind of like, Oh, that was lucky that that happened. Not that dog breath is bad, but they're really good, but it's not at all. Their thing that they did. It was just, they were, the app helped them in a indirect kind of way, I guess. They're still shocked that that happened, <laughs> but,
2: it's just another tool like yeah. to learn and to try and use and figure out how it will help
1: yeah absolutely like that that's what i try to like talk to the bands that i work with on sell the heart like and i try to encourage them you you know because you know i I i've talked about this before on the show where i think a lot of bands are just not really interested in trying to do a lot of work outside of just the work of being a musician right and that's great. Like, that's fine, you know, because that's already hard enough, like honing your craft and getting good at your instrument and like learning how to be a better singer and like how to be a better songwriter. That involves a lot of work and that, you know, should in a, in a perfect world be rewarded by the people that enjoy it, giving you a few bucks for your album. And then hopefully that being something that you can, you know, go on and hopefully make a, at least a modest living off of, right? However, because of like, this new world that we're living in, you know, uh, music and culture and like things just they happen so fast. And um, it's happening faster and faster all the time. And our attention spans aren't even, you know, able to keep up with it anymore, you know, so it's kind of hilarious that now, like vine and like TikTok and even like YouTube, and and podcasts, like, um, the shorter it'll, it seems like the better, you know, like just these you gotta, you gotta, it's gotta be like these small doses or else like people just kind of say, nope, I don't have time for this. Like, just give me the bullet. That's all I yeah. want. Um, but, but I do think though that like a well-written like three and a half minute song, it will always be like the standard, you know, because you know, you can't, you can't just, I mean, you can make like little sound clips that work really well. And like, I think TikTok and like Vine ha- ha- has proven that. I mean, Vine, I know it like, doesn't really exist. I-, I don't know why I keep mentioning it. But, um, but like you can have like great hooks, but like a song that's composed of like a couple of verses, a couple of choruses, a breakdown, and then like another verse chorus usually lands somewhere between two and a half, three and a half minutes. And that's kind of the gold standard. And if you can get really good at that, you know, and doing that well o- over and over and over again, you've got a good formula for success. Um, but on top of that, being able to ma- to market yourself, and especially if you can market yourself without having to pay anyone to do it for you, that's a really good tool to be able to have. And these these apps can be a great option for, for anyone because to your point, like Dog Breath, I've never even actually heard of that band to be perfectly honest with you. And if all of a sudden they're now like one of the top streamed albums on you know Asian Man because of kind of a fluke, I mean, more power to him That's great. You know, and it, it really could happen to anyone. I mean, it could happen to you guys. you know. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it's like with I remember just tangentially, like
0: when we first met Mike, one of the things that he had just put out was the newest Dog Breath album in that point, which was. I can't remember what it was called. It's a great album, though. Whatever album came out in about 2019. 2018 uh and i remember asking him just because i was trying to gauge like how pre-orders did just based on the label and i said like how many how many pre-orders have you gotten so far the album comes out in a week he said like six or something like that and i think it went on to sell a lot more than that but yeah it's just what a what a transformation it can be yeah from relatively unheard but so finger fingers crossed for more of that
1: yeah we need we need to find an influencer for you guys yeah exactly which which influencer will it be god i hate that fucking term so much dude i hate it i
0: I mean technically and and, like if you really want to think about that term like any band or anything that's on instagram or whatever that's like if we tell you to go buy a record and you go bought it Technically, we're influencing you. It's not that like it's not a career in my. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Like, we're probably just gonna get mad if we do. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, sp- speaking of labels, so y- you actually run your own label called Lava Socks Records. Yeah, uh,
0: I run. Tell, it me, out of tell my, me a little bit about that. I run it out of my basement right here. All the s- extra stock and stuff is right next to me, actually. Um, Mateo and Steve, you have been a big help with it. My parents help. My parents pack records with me pretty consistently. Um, it started as a kind of thing of, I kind of really went, like dove headfirst into Lookout after kind of reading Larry Livermore's book and kind of become inspired of thought, oh, well, this really just started out from fun anyway, not to blow up or anything. I should just try it and... It's gone super well. It's been a really amazing thing I think we've done around 30 releases. A lot of them are cassette stuff because I basically from except for getting the cassette like blank, I do everything in-house. I make all the labels, make all the jackets, burn and duplicate all the tapes. And it's really a way for like newer bands that might not have, you know, any real audience yet or if they're their first release the amount of investment i put in especially if they're interested in helping buying the tapes or something that goes into a run of 50 tapes is like a hundred and something bucks and it it it's nice to help them out if they if i sell a couple copies that's great and it makes it back a little bit um but like i've put out mateo's like hardcore band that happened a couple years ago clocked and just kind of fun side projects and it, it all started with uh, a friend of ours band was doing like a one-off show in this apartment called Storyville where we used to do shows. And it was like a week away and they were like, dang, we don't have anything physical of our demo. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll make some, I'll make like 20 copies of your demo on cassette. And Mateo and I, I think, labeled all of them in like, an afternoon, hand numbered all of them and... I kind of went from there. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've done some amazing stuff. I've gotten to work with Asian man on uh, green day tribute compilation, which was incredible. Uh, I've gotten to work with a couple of my favorite bands. I've gotten to reissue the tilt and corrupted morals things from lookout, which is probably the, the highlight of what I've done so far. Those have been amazing to work with and bring, not only the reissues kind of back out and remastered, but also both of them contain nearly double the amount of like bonus tracks that have never been heard or that kind of thing. And I'm just kind of like a nerd for records and tapes myself. And just, I've always loved them. I've collected vinyl since I was like 10. So for me, it's trying to satisfy those people that love the physical media of music and just trying to give it to bands that can't, necessarily really do it any other way and just saying hey i'll make you some tapes you can do whatever you want if you stay a band for two more weeks okay i'll figure it out but it just gives them that kind of thing of like how i remember feeling when we got our first cds of like wow it's it's my thing on a on a thing and i can hold it and people can see it and I think there's just something kind of wonderful to that. I don't know, Matteo. You've you've had the, you've just done some of the grunt work for it. But
2: I, I was just I was trying to think of how many of the bands that you've put out I've recorded. i hmm. um, more than because half. for a, yeah, because for a second it was like Stevie, or I would run sound for a band at Gilman. And then we would text Alex and be like, Alex, this band is really good, and they haven't put anything out yet. You should put something out. Oh, they don't know, like, anything about recording. Okay, well, I'll record them, yeah, and I'll mix them, and we'll send it to Pat at Earth Tone to master, and then Alex will pull it, put it out on Lava Socks. And it's like, I don't know. That's also really fun and really cool. I love recording bands. I, I, like, probably over half of the albums that I have recorded for bands have been the band's first release yeah her first album
0: yeah it, that's yeah. go ahead sorry oh it's just yeah it's an all-encompassing process that just it's kind of like a starter pack for a band is
1: what we try to give them well and i think that there's something like really kind of beautiful about all this because like uh you know here we have you know one of two of you really that uh are able to to offer bands an opportunity that don't know anything about you know like recording an opportunity to record and to do it probably really well you know and then or at least you know give them something that is going to be much better than them trying to do it on their own you know um and then you got another person in the band that is willing to actually release it and like try to you know produce the physical record for them and so like yeah like it it really does kind of encompass like the 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 spirit of like you know punk rock and like doing it yourself and like all that stuff so uh yeah i think i think that's awesome that and and you know it's 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 not something that's brand like that's new like this isn't something that like no other bands haven't done but it's cool to see that that bands are still doing that
0: you know and I, I definitely like, oh, it's a, like, I mean, Aaron Cometbus and all these people that made mixtapes back in the, the late 80s and 90s and recording uh, Marshall Stacks and all these people that recorded off the Gilman soundboard. And uh, what the first or the second EP we ever did was because the engineer at that point offered to record us at Gilman and kind of, you know, we ran through all the songs we really had at that point And it just feels like... Yeah, our way of kind of giving back. And and I love it because I otherwise I probably wouldn't get to hear and really know super well as much music as I as I have because of this. Because a lot of bands like um uh the most recent band I did last year, this band Fist Fight with Traffic, that I never got to see. It was just relayed to me that they were good. They were going to play My birthday show slash label showcase, which got canceled. uh, And that was going to be their second show ever, I think. And no one's really heard much of them. They've done a couple things over this, but like I'm, I'm like excited to get to go back to that and see new bands and keep pushing for these bands and and see kind of what comes out after all this and get to work on those kind of bands. So,
1: yeah. that's killer um well yeah i i i appreciate like everything you guys been telling me about uh the history of the band and like what you've been doing uh over the last few years i I mean you guys you guys are going to be working on some new material right yes we have a bunch of things in the work slowly
0: we never stop writing because all three of us write there's always stuff so we have a lot of stuff hopefully more stuff coming this year
1: Sweet. And I mean, obviously, like once things kind of get back to, to normal, you know, we'll likely see you guys go on tour. And I know that you guys were scheduled for fest. You didn't, you know, obviously that got pushed back. Yeah. Um, you probably had like a little bit of a tour lined up around that.
0: Yeah. We're, we had a couple tours. Uh, we had one tour that was in March, we had one tour in the summer. Uh, if it's safe, maybe we'll tour to fest. I know that's what every band on earth is going to be doing that's playing fest. Uh so the shows might be a little competitive, but if all works we will be at fest in October this year, and yeah, hopefully doing stuff after that, so I think that's that's like probably our first show back unless something locally happens
2: yeah i would I would agree um and I mean, we bought a van a van in twenty nineteen so we wanna like we used it once we want to put miles on it. We yeah, you gotta we used break it for it in. one tour, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So well, yeah, I mean Fauci's, you know, saying that with all luck and if you know we don't fall into a civil war, then you know we'll we'll hopefully have live music and stuff again. So I yeah. I've, i know I've got my fingers crossed because tsunami Bomb... Desperately wants to play some shows because we didn't really get a chance to like really support our last album either. So Mm -hmm. I'm pulling for you guys. Um, But yeah, so on to the last couple questions I have. So, um, you know, I I know that you guys are obviously, you know, conscious of a a ton of great bands. Uh, I always like to ask people uh, who are some bands that you would love to give like a shout out to that people may not be aware of, you know, Uh, I think the
0: core four or core three uh, is on the most recent thing. Uh, like seven inch we did, which was on Asian man called friend split, uh, which is danger Inc from Sacramento get married from San Jose uh, and Grumpster from Oakland uh, are kind of like our main three like I guess if if we were like, a, like sibling bands, those would be the ones um, we've done tours with Grumpster and danger we will do a tour with get married eventually played a bunch of shows with them.
2: Uh,
0: Polka Dot and Adult School are both ones to go look for. Um, oh, man. There's so many. Preschool's great. Slumped. Uh, like Roses, who we share a practice space with. And I put out an album of theirs on uh, Lava Socks, Lousy Advice, Sad Girls Club. Oh, Crop Vision. Crop Vision. Awesome ska hardcore from uh, Orange County.
2: Uh, bad Idols dead words teenage halloween
0: check out no time records they've done we've talked about asian a lot but no time records is the one that's done everything we've ever done on cassette tape the newest album is available on their band camp they do it hey tommy at no time has done like over oh, like th- over 200 releases or something like that on cassettes i learned everything from him and
1: he does every genre he's amazing that's awesome yeah I- yeah I, I know the name I, I'm I'm not super familiar with that label but I definitely have heard the name so
0: a lot of Did the they, like bad time record stuff if there's been a cassette version has come out through uh through no time typically it, he's kind of like the go-to for that like ska punk kind of any or like crack rock steady anything like that stupid stupid henchmen or any of those kind of bands and he, lots yeah, of he's, folk punk too lots of folk punk yeah yeah and
1: it's strictly cassettes uh, he does
0: vinyl and mini CDs, like those little CDs that are about this big you used mm. to get. Uh, he does those for like CD singles and stuff too.
1: Oh, cool! Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then yeah, like my my last question that I like to throw out to people is, um, if you were stuck with five albums for the rest of your life on like let's say a desert island, what would you pick? So I think I think Mateo and I do have a joint list. Uh,
0: so the first one I think is American Idiot because It's like the Green Day album that I think all of us, Stevie included, like really got into Green Day because of. And I, it's a pretty long album too, which is an advent like an advantage if you're on a desert island. I guess you would want to pick like the most content. But it's just like that album's hard to beat. It's pretty pretty amazing consistently throughout. And uh, as much as I love Dookie, I think American Idiot just has always been my favorite. Just with Jesus Suburbia, especially and. All that. And then yeah, Matteo, what's number two?
2: Number two, I think, would be The Crane Wife by the Decemberists. Um, which I think is collectively our favorite Decembrists album. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, a long album. I think it's one of their best, if not their best. Um I I really love that album and I think it's just it's so good and it's It's another thing that we listen to as a band so much.
0: Yeah, it definitely like midway through our band career kind of had a revelation of like trying to write more complex kind of arcing songs because of Crane Wife and ended up doing that with our Tides EP from 2017. And it's been such a huge thing. Uh, Worry from Jeff Rosenstock is probably the Jeff Rosenstock album, if we're going to pick any. Again, I think because it's a pretty long album. Uh, But also, that album uh, just flows incredibly well. It was hard to think of a way to follow up We Cool as good as that, and somehow we bested it. And I think that one's pretty incredible. If you're listening, I'm sure you know Jeff Rosenstock, but if you don't, go listen to that one. Uh, I put the The Wall because that's a gigantic album. But to be fair, uh, for me, Pink Floyd, and I think actually Mateo and I had a conversation originally about covering The Wall, kind of like we did the Gilman Street Dookie comp back in like 2013 or something. This idea of doing The Wall as like a big tribute album just because there was so many tracks and all the bands you could get to do it, and it's kind of the sweeping epic and a couple of the tracks on there I would consider my introduction to like hard rock, almost punk kind of aggressiveness and yelling and stuff like that. And our high school was a big Pink Floyd fan base too, so <laughs> Yeah Yeah. I think
2: the last one we would do would be some form of Nirvana live album. Um Yeah. Like I'm unplugged or not unplugged, but <laughs> either Muddy Banks of Wishka or Live at Reading
0: yeah i think both of those especially i mean live at Reading, some of the performances on there for like come as you are and uh territorial pissings and some of the songs just have such an aggressive anger <laughs> within them and uh it it's amazing to listen to those that was i think like highlights some of the lesser known tracks in a way that you don't hear it on the album as much like Smells Like Teen Spirit is definitely one of the worst songs on those live albums and the other the like non-hits are always so much better just yeah. cuz they had so much more excitement about playing them I think by that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think it's pretty well known that Kurt Cobain probably never wanted to play Smells Like Teen Spirit ever again but knew that he kind of had to and it I'm sure it pissed him off every time yeah. he had to play it at a certain point. I mean, some bands some bands just don't anymore like i know like radiohead famously like won't play creep yeah they're just like no we're not gonna play it we we don't care and honestly i don't blame them because some yeah. of those songs you're just like dude like i mean i've i've there's songs in bands that i've been in and am in where i'm just like do we do we have to play it it's like yeah we have to play it. It's like, fuck right we gotta play it <laughs> so but um no that's a great list and uh you know hey i i appreciate you guys coming on the show it's been a pleasure uh we're gonna end The show with uh, a song uh, and a video so uh everyone who you know hasn't heard sarcasm get off your ass you know get online check them out buy their record um and yes stay tuned for some new music from them in the coming uh year probably and we'll talk to you guys real soon awesome thank you
2: thanks for having us